In Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us about the war that raged within him. And because of his shocking honesty, we find the answer to two questions. What's my problem? And what can I do about it? What's my problem? And what can I do about it? Um, with respect to the problem, Paul suggests my desires are irreconcilable. My desires are irreconcilable. Um, Paul's spiritual condition, he describes it this way in Romans 7. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I think in saying these things, Paul puts these words then in our mouth. If it's true of him, it must be true of us. We can't say that Paul could say something like this, but it really doesn't apply to us. If it's true of him, it's true of us as well. Then that becomes my spiritual condition. And we might make statements like this, but when we make statements like this, we usually blame someone. Um, what I want to do, I do not do because I'm lazy. What I hate, I do because I'm a bad person. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out because I'm an addict. I do not do the good I want to do because I'm a sinner. And so we make statements like this. And when we do, we blame someone. And Paul doesn't. He doesn't blame anyone. He identifies competing internal desires. And again, if it's true of him, it got to be, it's got to be true of us. And what are the implications? A couple of things. Because my desires are irreconcilable, pleasure is unsustainable, and displeasure is unavoidable. If my pleasures are pointing in different direction, so pleasure is A and pleasure is B, and pleasures A and B, they don't line up. So if I gratify pleasures A, pleasure B, which is inside me, that, that doesn't work. If I gratify pleasure B, pleasure A. And so that's what Paul, that's what Paul identifies within himself. If my pleasures are at war, that means pleasure is unsustainable. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your health is like. I don't care how good your family is, how good your retirement is. Pleasure is unsustainable and displeasure is unavoidable. And I think, put it another way, because my desires are irreconcilable, I cannot have what I want to have. If I want this and that, and this and that don't line up, if I have this, I don't have that, and I don't have what I want. I can't do what I want to do. If Paul says, I can't think what I want to think. I can't feel what I want to feel. Again, Paul doesn't blame every, anyone. He doesn't even blame himself, which is surprising. He blames his frustrated spiritual condition he, I'm sorry, he blames his frustrated desires on his spiritual condition. And he blames his spiritual condition on sin living in him. It's my problem. My desires are irreconcilable. Well, Paul will say sin 
is living in me. Look what it says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. It says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature or flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And again, when we think of sin here, when we usually think of sin, we think of sin as an action, violating the commandments. That's not what sin is here. Sin is not an act. It's a power. It's an influencer. Think of it with sin with a capital S and a crown on its head. Um, because sin is living in me, I am indwelt by irreconcilable, disagreeable desires. So I think we could put it this way. Sin is living in me. Sin isn't living in me because I do bad things, think bad things, and want bad things. What Paul's saying is I want bad things, do bad things, and think bad things because sin is living in me. Because sin is living in me, I desire to do things that I don't want to do. And I am, he says as well, I am opposed to, I am indwelt by opposing laws. Sin is living in me. One part of me obeys the law of God, and another part of me obeys the law of sin. This is what is so shocking that Paul would make an admission like this. But look what he says. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He identifies allegiance to do two different laws inside, the law of God and the law of sin. And he is so racked by this conflict that he calls out to God because of the weariness of fighting this battle. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The word wretched does not mean despicable. What wretched means, literally, it's distressed, afflicted with troubles. It's somebody who has been bearing a burden to the point of exhaustion, fighting a battle that they can't dismiss. And so this is what wretched looks like. It's somebody who's wrung out. When we think of wretched, we think of bad. It's not bad. This is not a condemnation. It's an observation. Paul is saying, I am pulled in half and I am bone weary of fighting the war within. Paul expresses to God what he wants, and God answers his cry. That's what we find. 
what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to what he says. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, the flesh, a slave to the law of sin. God answers, but Paul still obeys two laws, God's law and sin's law. God answers, but Paul still is enslaved to do different masters, sin and God. Some people think that when Paul is writing this, when he's writing, wretched man that I am, that he can't be writing as a Christian, because a Christian wouldn't experience that degree of conflict. It doesn't make any sense, though, because what Paul says on the front part of experiencing whatever he experienced, wretched man that I am, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, I have two, I'm, I'm, I follow two laws and I have two masters. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so now I follow two laws and I have two masters. You wouldn't think much if I went to a very hospital with heart disease and skin cancer. So I go to, I don't have that, by the way. Uh, but if I went to Avera with heart disease and skin cancer, and I say, boy, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I was so lucky. I caught that just in time. I went to Avera because I have heart disease and skin cancer, and they treated me, and now I only have heart disease and skin cancer. Doesn't seem like much of a solution. And what we find here is that Paul is still split in half, even though God has come onto the scene. Um, sin is living in me. And this is what Paul teaches. One part of me obeys the law of God. Another part of me obeys the law of sin. And what it means is that slavery is a reality. Um, here's what Paul says, different parts of Romans. Look what it said. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obey the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to, in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. It suggests here that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to God. Can slaves do what they want? Very limited, isn't it? If you are a slave to a master, if I'm your master and you're my slave, you might have some choice, but you really don't have free choice because I'm going to dictate what you can and cannot do. Slaves in Paul's day couldn't do what they want. Can we do what we want? 
if slavery is a reality, wouldn't it be true that free will is a fantasy? If slavery is a reality, at some level, now we can do this and we can eat this and we can choose this, but at a deep level, we don't get to do what we want to do because, frankly, slaves don't have free will. And we'll talk about this. This doesn't seem fun, but it seems to be suggesting that we're either slaves to sin or slaves to God. I mean, which one do you want to be enslaved to? That's a pretty easy question. Um, we're enslaved to two masters. We are slaves to God, ruled by God's law, or we are slaves to sin, ruled by sin's law. Need to understand that the problem, need to understand the problem in order to apply the solution. Our problem is that our desires are irreconcilable, that sin is living in us. So what do I do about that? Um, I need to control sin, not sin. This is what we've looked at in the, the past weeks. Uh, sin's influence becomes irresistible under law. That's what Paul has said so far. If I am serving God and serving sin, the way to make sin's power inescapable is go under law and believe that God is acting toward us under the old covenant. What Paul is saying here, sin makes the law excuse me, makes sin powerful. The more I try to control sins, the more I'm controlled by sin as a power. Um, goes on to say, I need to develop new covenant faith. Develop covenant clarity. That's what Paul says here, that there's an old covenant and a new covenant. Under the old covenant, sin's power is increased and God's power is decreased. Under the old covenant, sin's power is increased, and God's power is decreased. Under the new covenant, God's power is increased, and sin's power is decreased. So that's what Paul would say. In order to deal with sin as a power, what we have to do is get out from under the old covenant and under the new, because sin's power is increased under law. That's what Paul is telling us. And finally, talks about, I need to pour out my heart to God. In order to be freed from slavery to sin, then, we need to control sin by developing new covenant faith and pouring out our heart to God. We'll talk about what that means as Paul talks about living in the power of the Spirit, because that's what living in the power of the Spirit means, living under the authority of the new covenant. And we'll come to see that. Paul pours, his, Paul pours his heart out to God. He admits being weary of the war within. God answers him, but it's, if you see something here, look up, well, see if you can find it. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Whatever God does, he doesn't solve the problem. God doesn't remove the war within. It's still raging. Um, it seems then, surprisingly, God wants me to live with the war within. 
Paul comes to God and says, I'm experiencing this dividedness and I'm bone weary. So thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then God doesn't take the war within away. It would seem then for us, God wants me, us, to live with the war within. And then we have to ask a question, why in the world would he want that? But that's, that's what Paul is suggesting here. Um, this is what Paul discovered. Um, why would he do that? God wants me to live with the war within because the war can make me humble. The war can make me humble. Here's what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? The battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Because that sounds like Romans 7, doesn't it? The inner conflict of disparate, conflicting desires. If our pleasures are at war, if your pleasures are at war, that which pleases you goes in that direction. And that which pleases you goes in the other direction. If you live to be pleased, you live at war. Would you agree? If your pleasures are at war, and if we live for pleasure, we live at war. And that's what James is saying. Our problem, our pleasures don't line up. If we're pleased by that, we're displeased. And so we have this conflict inside. Talks about humility. And biblically, humility is being powerless to use what I have to get what I want. Humility, biblically, is being powerless to use what I have to get what I want. Humility is the painful experience of powerlessness. This is the result of being indwelt by irreconcilable desires. Humility. Humility is what happens when you have sin living inside. That's what humility is. And what humility sounds like when you express it, wretched man that I am, I am tired of the war within. That's humility. I can't do what I want to do. What I do is not what I want, but the things that I don't want to do, this is what I do. What Paul is expressing there is humility. Humility. Paul could have favorably compared himself with others. Would you agree with me? I don't know what Paul's sin problem was, but it probably wasn't the kind of things we would point a finger at. However, Paul doesn't compare himself with others. He doesn't say, I deal with this, but they deal with. I struggle with, but they struggle with. I think that's important. He could have compared himself favorably. Isn't that what we tend to do? We think of our war within, but at least as bad as theirs. You know, I might have problem, but at least I'm not that. And Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't compare himself favorably or unfavorably with others. He just owns his stuff. He says, I have a war going on in me, and you have the same war going on inside you. Um, when we compare ourselves, it leads to hypocrisy and judgment. Hypocrisy is when we pretend to be better than we are. There's things we think and feel, but we don't want to admit that to anyone. And what we do when we do hypocrisy is we press it down and step on it. How are you doing? Fine. 
This is what hypocrisy, then we all do it. Hypocrisy or judgment. Hey, can we talk? You know, we might not be the bee's knees, but at least we're not like the people on the other side of the aisle. You know what I mean here? You know, we, we have our, you know, and so, or we, we tend to either do hypocrisy or judgment. What Jesus said that the most virulent spiritual diseases were hypocrisy and judgment. Anything that gets in the way of our owning what our battle is. You have a battle. You have a, We all have a battle. That's what Paul is suggesting. Why would God develop humility? Why would he want to do that? Simply because uh, being humble will make me useful. If there seems to be one quality that defines people who have been used by God, this is it. Humility. It says of Moses, Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. That's what it says. Remember what Jesus said, the only self-description Jesus made of himself. I am gentle and humble in heart. Um, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, perfect here, perfect in this sense, it, it means useful. It doesn't mean perfect morally. Um, the perfection is usefulness. And what it says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance, you have to learn to stay in a place where you're, you're not able to use what you have to get what you want. You're in that place. You can't change her mind. You can't change his mind. You can't change your circumstances at work. You can't change the government. You can't change the president. You can't change these things. And we're in that place, and we have to learn to stick in that place. To stick in what place? The humble place. If we understand the law as it is, you know why the law exists? The law exists so that you and I can understand, I can't do this. I might be able to do some of the things, but I can't be coveting. That's what the law exists to do, to bring us to a place of, of humility, not I'm better than you because I don't do this, but through this. That's what God wants us to live with the woe within, because he wants to make us humble. And he wants to make us humble because humility will make us useful. Not everybody who's under the law will be able to come to the place of humility. You have to learn to accept what's real. Some can't not do hypocrisy or can't not do judgment. Judgment and hypocrisy will not lead to humility, leads to judgment. But to those who do embrace the war within, there is the possibility to become humble and humility leads to usefulness. Um, that's what James talks about here. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's describing someone who God has sent to represent him to others, and that person has what they need. That's what it's, it's usability. Um, this is really important to understand. We talked about the things you can do. I need to control sin, not sins. 
I need to develop new covenant faith. I need to pour out my heart to God. I need to, I need to, we need to understand something. Doing these things will not eliminate the war within. Doing these things will help you endure the war within. Because God wants us to live with the war within. Because the war within can lead to humility. And humility will lead to usefulness. You do these things not to eliminate the tension of being pulled in half, but to endure it because you don't endure it alone. Talk more about that next week. Um, God wants me to live with the war within because the war can make me humble. And being humble will make me useful. We pray for us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Now, the Paul says things like this, and no one else has said it this clearly. I don't think he comes to this place where he clearly points off that the he's dwelt by irreconcilable desires, that sin is living within him, that he's weary of the war within and he cries out to you but you don't take the war away you do tell him things and we'll talk about that next week but apparently you want him to live with the war within because it leads to humility it can lead to humility and humility leads to usefulness so you want us to do the things you want us to do to control sin not sins to to develop new covenant faith and to pour out our heart, not because it eliminates the tension, but because it enables us to endure. The fact is, we are not going to have what we want to have. And we're not going to do what we want to do, at least on this side of eternity. We will not feel what we want to feel. We will not think what we want to think, at least on this side of eternity. On the far side of eternity, we will. But we experience this now. Because the weariness, although difficult, leads to humility. Humility means that we don't compare ourselves with others, look down at them. Humility means that we look at others with compassion, because we understand the battle ourselves. We don't reach out with a pointing finger. We reach out with an open hand. That's what useful people are like. Thanks for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.